So, who remembers what weekend this is or what day tomorrow is? I want to hear some masculine voices crying out, what, what day tomorrow is? Pardon? St. Valentine's Day. My wife said uh, that she thinks when it comes to romance, I'm a conscientious objector. <laughs> I actually take that as a compliment because it means she knows I'm going to stick to my principles. <laughs> Do you know much about Valentine? According to one source, Nicky Gumbel being that source, St. Valentine was imprisoned and beheaded and buried on the 14th of February 269 AD. For, anybody know why? Helping persecuted Christians and marrying Christian couples. While in prison, he prayed for his jailer's daughter and her blindness was healed. On the day of his execution, he left her a note signed, Your Valentine. So happy St. Valentine's Day and don't lose your head about it. <laughs> the title for today's talk is Why Church a People Led by Servants. It's in a series. When you hear the word church, what thoughts, ideas and feelings are stirred up? And when you think of the words church leadership or church governance, what ideas or feelings are stirred up? Don't shout out, please. <laughs> and maybe that's not something you have thought much about. Um, you may be new to environments like this, and you are very welcome. That's great. But I s assume for many of us here or watching this talk that there are a wide range of answers to that question, both positive and negative. Whether we like it or not, we are all bringing our cultural conditioning and traditions to questions like this. Whether they are biblical or not, that's, where we're, that's the place we're coming from. And in this series, Why Church, that has been going on from September last year, and hopefully in all the teaching that we do here at Connect, we want to come to the text afresh and read out of it what is there for us to walk in and walk out and not read into the text what we think should be there. Now, we need help to do that. I mean, we need to help each other to do that. I've been in environments like this nearly all my life, in fact, all my life, and that's what we do. We often read into the text what we want to see, not read out of it what is there. And remember that we have said that our purpose is to keep rediscovering what it is to be church as Jesus intended and in the power of the Spirit make disciples as who we are, where we are now in our time and space. That's what we are endeavoring to do. So let's read some and only some of these texts on what under the heading church leadership. So Philippians 1, 1 and 2 first of all says... To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, 
together with the overseers and deacons or servants. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Class. I love even the openings, the openings and the endings of the letters. Meditate upon them. They're so rich. So the letter to the Philippians is addressed to all the saints, but to, they are to be together with these people called overseers and servants. Two groups, or three groups. Acts 20, 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders or the overseers of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Titus 1, 5 to 9. Titus and Timothy are, are letters of discipleship from the older Paul to his younger apprentices. And he says to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint church overseers in every town as I directed you. An overseer must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer manages God's household. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, those are three places. You could see also 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. You could see 1 Timothy 3 well, for core texts similar to these. And we want to read out of these various texts about church leadership, especially about those that refer to those who are appointed as overseers or elders. I'm going to use the word overseers as much as possible. So let me very swiftly, very swiftly tell you some words that are used in the original and some of their meaning that are from these passages. Please forgive any mispronunciations. So first of all, you have presbyteros, an elder, those who presided over the assemblies. Then you have prosecco. It means to attend, to be attentive, caring for, providing for. Episcopos means an overseer, a bishop, a guardian, or a superintendent. So these words, they speak both of oversight and pastoring. Oversight in the local church combines the role of government and pastoring or shepherding. First of all, government or ruling, episcopos, a bishop, an overseer, a man charged with the duty of seeing that things are done right and in order, a guardian, a superintendent of the local church. Presbyteros, you'll know where there's a denomination gets their uh, whole identity from that word means presiding, one advanced in life, rank, or office. So that's the first of all, the combination of the two is first of all government or ruling, and then there's this pastoring or shepherding. Poimeno, 
means to shepherd, to feed, to tend the flock, to rule, govern, to furnish pasture for food, to nourish, to serve the body. And then you have prosecco, attend or care, to bring to, turn the mind to, be attentive to, caring for and providing for. It, in, it includes, but it's not only, nourishing and comforting. As I've said, oversight in the local church combines the roles of both government and shepherding. And this, note well, this is leading, it's not driving. Think of Near Eastern shepherds. That's what would be in mind in the text, the, the idea of Near Eastern shepherds. They led flocks, they didn't drive flocks. I, I spent a lot of time on my grandfather's farm. We didn't have sheep, but we had cattle. And he used to say, we're going to go and drive cattle, we're going to cap cattle. It was great fun. But a Near Eastern shepherd was a, went out in front, led the flock. And listen to this. They led their whole flock, the whole flock together, into pasture where they, the flock, could safely feed. They did not keep the flock locked up in a shed, and they go out and cut grass and bring it to the animals to feed them the shovel feed them. That would be maybe uh, our understanding of shepherding and farming in some places. That's not the picture. They guided the whole flock together at a pace where they could all safely feed together. And I assume that from time to time that they had to tend to individual sheep and some sheep needed intensive care and specialist feeding. But keep the overall picture in mind. To think of pastoring only in terms of pastoral, pastoral care for nourishment and comfort of the sickly is not accurate, I don't think, according to the text. So taking all the words used about the role and the work of an overseer, we can see that their responsibility is to govern, to guide, to guard. To govern, to guide, and to guard. Now, overseers will be held to account for how they do this. I like to think of it this way. Overseers are accountable for the people, but not really to the people. They're accountable to God. And it is a high charge, but they will be rewarded. Paul says that, that the task in itself is a noble task. And 1 Peter 5.4 says that when the chief shepherd appears, you, and he's referring to under-shepherds of the church, will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. The under-shepherds will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. I tell you, that makes some of the hard stuff worth it. So let us now think briefly about the character the competence and the calling or the appointment of overseers in the church and also those who are recognized servants. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he starts off speaking about uh, overseers and then moves on to servants. And we have both, and I will get to that in a while. So, what is an overseer's character? Well, it's the same as all disciples of Jesus. Exactly the same as all disciples of Jesus. You can read that list and you can say, oh, overseers must be these things. So must you all. It's not a case of, well, those boys can't 
get drunk, but we can. Those boys can't be greedy, but we can. That's not what it's saying there. It's saying that to be an overseer, you must have that kind of character. I don't think it's an exhaustive list. I think it's a kind of an illustrative list. That's their character. Overseer's competency. Well, they must be able to lead a, a family or a household. They must have capacity to be able to lead a household, a family. So therefore, they must be faithful husbands and capable fathers. This demonstrates their competency to manage and lead God's household, God's family, God's bride, God's children. Does this mean that this, particularly 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, does it mean that overseers must or should be husbands and fathers? Or does it mean if they are husbands and fathers, they must be capable, faithful and capable? There's a bit of uh, debate there. and I, I mean, I lean personally, not being dogmatic about this, I lean more so to the they should be fathers, uh, husbands and fathers, but not have to be. You need to go and look at that passage for yourself. We're not doing deep Bible study here on Sunday mornings, uh, but we are, I am recommending you go and take the text and look at it in as many uh, ways as you can. Do not just take what I'm saying at face value. Go and test my words by the text yourself. And there are different ways of looking at that in terms of must they be or should they be husbands and fathers or if they are husbands and fathers, is it the case that they must demonstrate faithfulness and capability? Either way, either way, they must demonstrate that they are capable to lead a household. We heard a few weeks ago about the fact that so church is body, church is uh, temple, but we heard that church is household. We heard it very well. I would recommend you go back and listen to Willie Patterson's teaching on that. Household, as it is described in the text, is multi-generational and inclusive of male and female. So an overseer must demonstrate that they have the competency to lead such a group, to understand the needs of such a group. And as I said, what our overseers doing? They're moving the whole flock together to safe pasture so that the flock can feed themselves on God and on his word. And they must be able to teach others. Though, I will say this, their gift to the body may not primarily be that of a teacher. There will be, and there are, other teachers in the body who are not necessarily overseers in the local church, just like there will be prophets, just like there will be evangelists, just like there will be shepherds. They will be God's gift. You uh, are gifted to the body. doesn't necessarily mean that you will be in the position of oversight in a local church. And that brings me on to what I think is the major responsibility of overseers. It's to order things in the household in such a way that the ascension gifts of Christ in Ephesians 4 and the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 
can be exercised by all for the benefit of all. That is their primary responsibility, to order the household in such a way that everybody gets to play, that everybody gets to serve. And all gifting does not reside in overseers and be exhibited only by them. We do not believe in one man or two man ministry here because we can't see it in the text. So we have an overseer's um, character, an overseer's competency, and what's the overseer's charge? What is their charge? What are they charged with? What's their command? Well, to govern as shepherds. They're charged to govern as shepherds, both ruling and shepherding. They are charged to guide in ways that guard. That's what overseers are supposed to do, guide in ways that guard. Again, think about those Near Eastern shepherds. shepherds. They were often and are often strong and sacrificial, not necessarily meek and mild. If you think of pastoral care as only for the meek and the mild, that's not the picture of shepherding. But it will involve the exercise of strength and it will involve being sacrificial. The words used of terms of shepherding is for the, to stand out in front of. To stand out in front of. When persecution comes, it's the husbands and fathers that step forward first. When pressure comes, it's the overseers that step forward first to protect. And I think as they govern as shepherds that they have, it's, they're not just charged with looking after one or two and intensive pastoral care is needed from time to time, but they're charged to guide the whole flock. They understand the breadth and the depth of the whole of the needs of the whole flock. This is also their charge. Their charge is that the church is not their church. But their charge is to look after the church that Christ purchased with his blood. Acts twenty eighteen. So overseers have a charge. So how are they called? How are they appointed? Again in Acts 20, it says that Paul spoke to the overseers and he said, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Question is, how does the Holy Spirit make or appoint overseers? Well, first of all, in the New Testament, they were all appointed by apostles or their representatives. And we could do a whole session on that. What are apostles? Who were the apostles and are there apostles? In the New Testament, all I can say is in the New Testament, they were appointed by apostles or their representatives. There is no clear mechanism for appointment set out in the New Testament. But listen, however, it was done in the context of prayer and fasting. 
Acts 14, 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And this parallels, parallels an incident or a practice in Acts 13, 1 to 3, when people were praying and fasting and worshiping and listening to the Holy Spirit. It says it means that they were ministering to the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, and that was for the appointment of those on mission. It wasn't for the appointment of elders in that place. But I think the, the scene is set that if, as far as I'm concerned, anything and everything that's done in a local church should be done with prayer and fasting. Listening to the Holy Spirit. We're not going, when we pray and fast, we're not going on hunger strike to make God speak to us. We're not trying to earn righteousness. We are posturing ourselves. We are positioning ourselves to be spiritually sensitive to the Spirit who speaks. The Spirit has spoken, and the Spirit speaks, and they will never be in conflict one with the other. Overseers should not just be appointed by recognition of their character or of their competency their capability only, but they should be appointed by revelation of the Holy Spirit. A couple of complementary points as we head to the finish line here. Um, overseers must be part of a team. This is the primacy of all New Testament ministry, uh, including Jesus sending people out two by two in all its manifestations in the New Testament, there were, it was team ministry. In the local church, there should be a plurality of overseers with a consensual and complementary approach to leadership, letting each one, letting their grace gifts blend and work together for the good of all. And there may be some within that group that are uh, graced with leadership. There'll be some graced in the prophetic, and there could be some graced with encouragement. Who knows, but it should be done in the plurality of the team. Overseers must know the chief shepherd well. First Peter 5, I've already alluded to it, it says that there is a chief shepherd for the whole church. <laughs> and he is the one that said, I am the good shepherd. Think of it, we the ecclesia, the summoned ones, we get governed. We get guided. We get guarded by this chief shepherd, the chief shepherd, the best shepherd in the whole universe. In all leadership and service, you only give out of your relationship with the Lord. Whether you're an overseer, an evangelist, or a prophet, or in administrations, or whatever you're doing, really at the end of the day, in the church, you only give out of your relationship with the Lord. Overseers must be courageous. One, Paul spoke to the overseers of the church in Ephesus and he said that there would be risks and there would be threats that would come from without and that would come from within. And it was the overseer's responsibility to be aware and prepared for this. There will be dangers for every church in every place. We are under attack get used to it and it will show up in different ways in different settings depending i believe upon the principalities and powers 
in different places in the, in the second heavens. In Titus 1, the appointing of overseers seems to be necessary for the churches to, to live counterculturally. It seems to be necessary that the churches were, if they were going to be enabled to live counterculturally in the culture in which they were placed, that they were going to need to have these overseers. And also, it was the appointment of overseers was to, was to help them stay away and steer away from misguided and cultish teachings. That's, what, that's why we need the appointment of overseers. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to appoint overseers to this and to every local church. In Connect here, we have something called Core Serve Team. What is Core Serve Team for those that don't know? Uh, so that's overseers and servants. Some recognized servants, we're all to serve, but there are some who are recognized in different spheres. And they're working together for the sake of the whole church. And having a core serve team, I think, makes us cognizant of Philippians 1 and 2, where it's addressed to the saints and to the overseers and the servants. Core serve team is the recognition of the two positions that are identified in the New Testament. Please remember that one. All in the body of Christ are gifted to serve. Everyone. Everyone. You're given as a gift to the body. You are donated. I said this the last time I spoke on this. You are donated by the ascended Christ to the body. You are necessary. But there are two, in my view, two, only two identifiable positions of leadership in a local church. I'm happy to discuss this, of course. So what is core serve team? Well, it's core, it's at the center of things, to serve in ways that enable all or others to serve better. As a team, working as one towards a shared vision. Let me quickly go through what core serve team is about. It's the cohesion of servants around a shared purpose. It's collaboration with others on essential tasks, of which there are many, to keep everything going. So we have people who designated to look after um, different spheres of ministry and different responsibilities. The team, the core serve team, works together to uh, enable that all to happen routinely. It's the inclusion of people in leadership roles without them being overseers. It is also for the development of people in church leadership who are not yet ready or we're not yet ready for them to be designated as overseers and it's, a, it's to have a wider group than just overseers coming up with ideas and solutions and working on ways to implement the vision of the church it's to get you know wider input of voices apart from uh, or in addition to the overseers and core serve teams other responsibilities to relieve the overseers of responsibilities and therefore releasing them to fulfill their own responsibilities as overseers in the church. But again, I say core serve team is simply there to enable the service of all not to do all the serving. And that leads me back round to a couple of points that I want to make. Uh, I, I feel I've been teaching, but I want to share something prophetically as well, I believe, for this household. It leads me back around to the idea of listening 
to the Holy Spirit in all things, but specifically for the appointment and development of the team of overseers here. So if we're going to follow the word of God, we're going to need prayer and fasting. That enables the listening. As we develop as a church, as we develop the leadership of the church, we are going to need to be led by the Holy Spirit. We as a church have changed. We will change more. That is going to happen. If we're leading, if we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, I believe that is going to happen. We need to keep in step with what the Spirit's doing. We need to lower ourselves. That's what uh, fasting does. It humble. It's, it's an act of, or an, uh, 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 it's an aid to humble ourselves before Him in order to listen to the Holy Spirit. And as we do so, we are asking. We want to remain stable, but we do not want to remain stagnant. We want to remain united. But we do not want to be bound with a rigid uniformity. We are going somewhere together. So in light of that and what I've said, Barry Highland and I uh, are inviting the church, are calling for the church to pray and fast about everything that I've just said. And plus, plus, plus. Commencing on Sunday the 20th or uh, Monday the 21st, we're going to set aside three days. Um, you enter into that as you feel led, but just that's the, the week commencing next Sunday to pray and fast uh, around this whole subject. There may be a special meeting arranged that will be sent out to you if that's happening. I want to read something from the book of Haggai. I feel uh, it's, it's something prophetic. So, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, when I read these <coughs> minor books, these wee books, I always think of something that Paul Scanlon said. You know, his church, before we had Bibles on our phones, etc., uh, people had, were, were doing this kind of act where they were sticking 20 pound notes into other people's Bibles. And he just made an announcement, don't stick it into the book of Haggai because it's not maybe a book that we read that often. <laughs> stick that 20-pound note into somewhere where I'm more likely to read it. Uh, anybody else reading in Haggai this week? No. I felt the Lord uh, call me to a verse in Haggai. Just got a message. Use hand mic. Um, I have w last Sunday morning felt stirred think of that word stirred to look up a verse in, in uh, Haggai chapter 2 which says two verses it was to, nothing to do with here at all the silver is mine and the gold is mine says the Lord of hosts and the glory of this latter house will be greater than the former and in this place I will give peace that's not the scripture I want to share for us so I started to read Haggai, and Haggai 1.14 says, So the Lord stirred up, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, 
and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And the Lord stirred up. To stir up means to rouse, to awaken, to stir up, to excite, to raise up, to incite, to arouse to action, and to open one's eyes. I understand that this is history. I understand that this is prophetic history. I understand that it has a significant place in the overall arch of the story of God. But what it tells me is that God can do something to people. He can stir them up. He can stir up their spirit. Now, we have many needs here in terms of people uh, that we need to serve, and children, and safeguarding, and AV, and uh, a whole lot of things all the time. Uh, and we want to pray that people get stirred up to serve where they should be serving. But it's broader than that. It's broader than this. What's the Spirit of God stirring up you to do? What's He stirring up you to do? I've found, I've tried to work for God at times, and it's awful. But you see, when you're working with God, and you're stirred up to do something, it's so different. The working within is so different. So in a minute or two, I'm going to pray that whatever God did to those people, to those named people, there were named people, and also to the remnant, that it would happen to us. But before that, a question I had as I was asking this, do you know the chief shepherd? The one who said, I am the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. The one who knows how to beautifully govern your life, guide your life and guard your life. Do you know the chief shepherd? The word, we think of government sometimes as an ugly word because there's some ugly people in government. It's the reality. But the government of God is a beautiful thing. To have the Lord govern in your life, to have his government, to have his rule, to have his reign in your life, he does that because he's the chief shepherd. He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies, and he's also the chief shepherd. You could pray this morning to know the chief shepherd. You can say, I don't really know Jesus' government in my life. I don't know his guiding. I don't know him guarding me. Ask, and you'll receive. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus is exalted. So therefore, the evidence is that the Holy Spirit is outpoured. That's what you see and hear is the evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for anyone here, either, list, either in this room or watching online or watching at a future point that doesn't know you as chief shepherd. 
may they call out to you, Jesus. You've made a promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, rescued, delivered. Lord, I want you to govern my life. I want you to guide my life. I want you to guard my life. Do it, Lord, I pray. And Lord, I pray also for us as a people that whatever happened in Haggai 1.14, do it to us, Lord. Do it with us, Lord. Stir us up. You do that. You're the God that can do that. We can't inspire people or motivate people. You can. Stir up, Lord. Stir it up, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to continue meeting now with tea and coffee.